This week we take a look at the first volume of Miles Morales Spider-Man in the main Marvel Universe, and then we go and examine The Tangled Web of Spider-Man Volume 2 and Miss Marvel Volume 3 straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Miles Morales' adventures as Spider-Man began in the Ultimate Universe. He acquired spider powers, and after the apparent death of Peter Parker in his universe, took on the mantle of Spider-Man. But the Ultimate Universe came to an end technically along with the mainstream Marvel Universe in Secret Wars, which we discussed in a previous episode. But one of the main changes to come out of Secret Wars is that Miles Morales was brought into the mainstream Marvel Universe, and uh, not only that, he got his uh, mom back to life. Because he was nice to the Molecule Man. Take a look at the first volume of uh, Miles Morales's. Uh, adventures in the new mainstream Marvel Universe in Spider-Man Miles Morales Volume 1. And in order to facilitate him being the uh, New York City hero, uh, Peter Parker, as now a billionaire, uh, is uh, was going all around the world doing jet-setting superhero stuff in other cities, and so that left New York City free for uh, Miles Morales to defend. The book starts out with Miles fighting this interdimensional demon uh, Blackheart. And uh, this is uh, one of those pretty good opening uh, fight villains uh, in a comic because you're trying to set things up. You want some threat for him to deal with, but you don't want uh, somebody who is... Uh, you know, such a big name that it distracts from what you're trying to do in the book. And this really uh, works out pretty well because the uh, Blackheart is definitely a threat, but he's not a very well-known character. He challenges Miles, and uh, at one point, uh, Spidey uh, Peter Parker actually shows up on the scene and is a little bit concerned. Uh, because, uh, Miles says, yeah, didn't you, uh, tell, tell me that I could, uh, use the name of Spider-Man? And we get a flashback in here, and this is something they do a couple of times in the book, and it's the one thing I don't like is this sort of cartoony flashback, uh, thing where you see these, you know, little, um, mini versions of the characters. Um, who are just very, very cartoony. And it's not an approach I'm a fan of. They did it in the Ultimate uh, Spider-Man cartoon series, and I never liked it there. And I'll admit that it's also possible that uh, seeing it in the cartoon series may have uh, made me really prejudiced against it. At any rate, Spidey is having some second thoughts. 
because the risk is that anything that Miles does that's wrong, he'll get blamed for because they're both operating under the name Spider-Man. However, Miles really does an impressive job defeating the villain and uh, Spidey reaffirms his support. And I think this particular guest appearance is really, it's really intended for people who didn't read about Miles uh, Morales' origin in the uh, Ultimate Comics. And they're just picking this up for the first time, and they're like, wait, this kid is is saying he's Spider-Man, what about Peter Parker? So having an early appearance by Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man, does make some sense here. And it it definitely serves a purpose. Uh, But at any rate... After this, uh, Miles gets back home to the dorm he shares with his best friend, Genki, at uh, Brooklyn Visions Academy. And they're watching their Marvel Universe equivalent of a YouTube video where uh, a fangirl of of Spider-Man is going on and on about uh, the new Spider-Man. And uh, because his costume got ripped, uh, the, uh, a little bit of skin showed. It did not enough to reveal his face, but enough to reveal that he's a person of color. And she starts freaking out about it and about how amazing it is. And uh, I like the dialogue in on this because uh, Miles is clearly not happy about this. Uh, Genki asks, why is this bothering you? I don't know, because who cares? I mean, I get it. And her on the screen says, Black Spider-Man. And Miles says, I don't want that. Uh, uh, Want what? The qualification. Uh, That is, I don't want to be the Black Spider-Man. I want to be Spider-Man. And in addition, he adds that he's also, uh, uh, he puts it as half Hispanic and he just wants to be Spider-Man and do his, uh, do his thing. And I totally like that. I thought that was a great bit. Uh, part of the challenge with his superhero activities, cause not only is he, uh, uh, not only is he Spider-Man, he's also part of the Avengers at this point. And his grades have suffered a little bit. And his mom gets really upset about this. And his dad makes Miles promise that he'll do better. Unfortunately, this isn't enough for uh, Miles' mom, who decides to bring in Grandma, who begins laying down the law, in part by taking away Miles' cell phone, which is bad news for him as Spider-Man, because uh, people can't get a hold of him, and people have that uh, number. And she is just, you know, really laying down the law. His, his dad does not like this at all. In fact, he, he says that uh, she has not been a big part of their lives intentionally, because she's really controlling and difficult. And I will admit that this is a little bit of a problem from a story perspective, Given that this is portrayed as not just a problem for uh, the for Miles's dad or Miles, but has also had difficulty with uh, Miles's mom, it seems like this escalated rather quickly. This is just the first report card where there was any sign of trouble. 
But both mom and grandma are suspicious that this involves drugs. Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, uh, comes by because Miles was supposed to go out on patrol, but instead he's been grounded. Kamala hears uh, what uh, the grandma says when she comes up and has probably the most uh, tender uh, conversation. Even though she's a really tough person, she just wants Miles to do well, to stay off drugs, and to not ruin his life. And to study. And Camilla actually uh, encourages him to do that, leaving, because of her shape-shifting powers, uh, in a way that neither Miles nor his grandma actually saw her move. Now, I should say that the school that Miles goes to uh, is a residential school during the school week. So he stays there Sunday night through uh, Friday and then comes home for the weekend. And there's a new student at their schools, and it turns out to be the former X-Men Gold Balls, who uh, Genki really looks up to. So Genki goes ahead and reveals uh, Miles' secret identity and asks Gold Balls to room with them, which really makes Miles mad for understandable reasons. And then Miles is kidnapped by Black Cat. Black Cat has taken over the crime in New York City and finds the uh, emergence of another Spider-Man to be bad for business. Hammerhead carries out the kidnapping by using missiles to knock Spidey out and to kidnap him in broad daylight, because apparently that's something you can get away with in New York City. Black Cat wants to get a feel for who the new Spider-Man is, but is really alarmed when it's discovered that there's no record of this new Spider-Man anywhere. And at the same time, Grandma decides to take a new tact, uh, given Miles's denials and her growing suspicions, and hires a private investigator, a private investigator named Jessica Jones. Now, there's more in the book. I'm not going to give away the whole end and, you know, what happens with Miles in dealing with Black Cat, uh, but this is a really good book. I like it as a first volume. I think it works great for people who didn't follow Miles' career back through the Ultimate Universe. It raises a lot of questions, and the character is likable. Plus, like a lot of the old Spider-Man comics from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, you see this uh, story kind of working on multiple levels. Uh, you know, a lot of superhero comics at the time, you know, you fight the monster of the week and then that's it. But in Spider-Man, you'd have, okay, we're dealing with the monster of the week, but he's also got this money problem and he's also got this uh, problem at school or with a girl. And so you do have this, you know, very multiple layered story that really feels true to the spirit of Spider-Man. And so I it, I think the book is just a great uh, intro into the world of Miles Morales, and it does ask a lot of questions. Uh, obviously, if you've read the Ultimate uh, Marvel stuff with Miles, you have less questions about the character, but there's still a question of how he's slotted into the uh, Marvel uh, universe. You know, with uh, Molecule Man making this adjustment to put him and his family and his friends 
uh, into this uh, universe, you know, how that happened and what uh, that displacement means. We get a hint of that. So this raises a lot of really good questions for a first volume that definitely makes me want to keep reading. So overall, I enjoyed this. I will give it a rating of classy. Uh, very good work by Brian Michael Bendis on this. Next up, we have Spider-Man's Tangled Web, Volume 2. And I read, I think, the first book in this series a few years back and kind of gave up on it. But I decided to give this one a chance for the best reason possible. I found the book on clearance. Uh, so, uh, Spider-Man's uh, Spider Tangled Web... Uh, was a series that uh, didn't really focus as much on Spider-Man, at least not in theory. I, I think in the first volume, it uh, did in some ways that didn't work very well. But it, the premise is that it focuses on people who get caught up in Spider-Man's uh, web, sometimes uh, supervillains, uh, but sometimes just average ordinary people. And uh, the, this book, Volume 2, collects issues 7 through 11. The first three issues is a story called Gentleman's Agreement by Lee Weeks. And uh, the plot of this one is that there's a cab driver named Charlie who finds out he's dying. Well, Charlie actually knows the secret identity of Spider-Man. We're not told throughout most of the story, how he found this out. But he knows, and he wants some money to leave from his family. And it's a compelling story because Charlie's given a moral dilemma, and he kind of struggles with it, particularly through the first two issues, and you really don't find out what he's decided until you get into uh, the final uh, issue. His uh, decision, what he does end up doing, uh, is not um, the most moral decision, but it's not as bad as it could have been. And there are a few surprises. I won't spoil the way that it uh, uh, comes out, but it's an interesting outcome, and it's a really good story. Uh, I think that Weeks, um, I read one of his stories he did for Daredevil Dark Knights. He has a good handle on people and uh, the type of problems and, you know, giving that some weight. And he does a good job. Uh, my one complaint in this is that they do have a scene with uh, a gangster kind of humiliating his uh, girlfriend in a really uncomfortable way, and it seemed a bit gratuitous. Uh, but that was really my only complaint with the story. Then you get Ray of Light, which is a one-parter, and it's written and drawn by uh, Cara Andrews. And uh, Andrews does this really good art style for the most part. There's one thing in here that doesn't work. But essentially, it's about two kids. Uh, they're brothers watching TV. One of them is watching this superhero sh show, but the, but the other is really, really cynical. And there are reasons for this that we get from the comic. And uh, 
then in the middle of this argument between the two brothers, Spotty and Electro come crashing into their living room, uh, and they are in the middle of a fight. And there's some really good, solid uh, character work and development, particularly with the older brother, really clarifying what he believes. Not just what he's angry about, but what he really believes about the world through this fight. And Spidey says something that's uh, it's very slight, but it's also very helpful um, in its own way in dealing with the problems of life. And I liked it. It was very cute. It's pretty well drawn. It's got this painted feel to it, which I think works pretty well. The only thing that doesn't work about this is Electro uh, is not really uh, well uh, drawn in this. And there are a few parts where it's kind of hard to even... I wasn't even sure who the villain was for a little while. Uh, but other than that, the other parts of it, it's really got this very nice painted feel to it. Uh, then the book wraps up with Open All Night. And essentially, uh, Spotty is fighting the Vulture and gets knocked out of the sky. And he has a date on Valentine's Day. Well, it's actually, he has two dates, uh, because being Spider-Man, he booked two different dates, not really uh, paying attention. And so both of these girls end up waiting for him. Uh, this one, it has some cute moments and some funny moments, uh, but there are a few problems with it. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson actually cheers for the vulture, which is out of character. Uh, Jameson would never be seen uh, cheering for the criminal. He would insist that somehow Spidey was really in league with the criminals. So that didn't quite feel right. Beyond that, it's really hard to get all that interested or engaged with these characters. It's not a bad plot, but I don't think, you know, given the whole dating history of Peter Parker, that he really needs, like, any mystery forgotten girlfriends. Because, you know, you read the comics, and there are plenty to remember. Uh, but overall, I really did enjoy this collection. I enjoyed it better uh, than the last one. It's an anthology piece, so the quality you're going to get varies from writer to writer. But I thought uh, particularly the first stories were just really good. And uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, despite some problems, I'm going to give it a rating a somewhat classy for uh, uh, Spider-Man's Tangled Web Volume 2. Now we turn to Miss Marvel Volume 3, Operation Lightning Storm. And this book actually collects seven issues, issues 11 through 17. Issues 11 and 12 find the return of Doomsday Man, who was actually a character that Miss Marvel fought in her original series back in the 70s. And then uh, uh, Doomsday Man came back in the Avengers uh, towards the turn of the century about then and fought the Avengers and was once again defeated. She comes home with a date only to find that uh, a representative of AIM is there, Advanced Idea Mechanics, along with Aranya. And the situation is that Advanced Idea Mechanics had taken 
a hold of Doomsday Man, but it lost him. And so they have to track him down. And they find his lair, but Miss Marvel tells Aranya to stay outside. Because Doomsday Man is very dangerous, even though he's only been in a couple of uh, issues that are referenced previously. When she gets down there, she discovers there's a horde of zombie warriors. And that Doomsday Man actually has the ability to uh, spread a plague that turns people into Targos, uh, which are what these warriors are, and actually infects uh, Miss Marvel. And there's an interesting spot there as he's talking to Miss Marvel that's uh, quite interesting uh, when uh, he asks, uh, you know, and calls the Avengers out on not uh, keeping track of him. And he says, and did you ever check up on me? Did the Avengers ever look in on the man they dropped off at the emergency room door? Or was that just another cameo? Another trivia question not asked. A bit meta, but I kind of like it. Um, meanwhile, uh, Aranya really does begin to worry about Miss Marvel in there. And so she actually follows her in and takes down the Targoth uh, with her powers. Uh, Miss Marvel is lying there on the ground and she hears voices in her head and then she is healed of the infection and is ready to go at Doomsday Man again. But by this point, Aranya has actually come right into the uh, center of the lair and is attacked by a doomsday man who just brutally goes after her. Uh, at this point, Aranya has got this exoskeleton that forms around her and it is part of her and he actually rips it apart. Now, I don't think it was particularly well designed and I think that may have been part of the reason why they had this happen. Because if you've got a costume that's not well designed, you know, you can always have the hero just decide to change it. But if the look of the hero is caused by an exoskeleton that they generate and the look is not good, uh, this is kind of the only way or the main way you can get it off uh, and Miss Marvel just comes at him and fights Doomsday Man a great epic battle uh, but Aranya is you know definitely shocked and injured in a lot of pain uh, and in the hospital Aranya's father tells Miss Marvel to stay away from his daughter and it's a bit of a down moment uh, as this first 12 issues comes to an end. And from here on out, I refer to uh, Aranya by her civilian name, Anya Corazon, because throughout the rest of the book, uh, she's not really called by her previous code name. Issues 13 and 14 is a story called The Deal. And this opens with Tony uh, bringing Carol out to Anderson, Indiana. Uh, where a DNA bomb had been uh, triggered by AIM and killed a hundred people. Miss Marvel says, a hundred people died today. 
Why? Because we weren't going after the bad guys when we could have. And then she goes on to say, we've been so busy enforcing the stupid registration law. And Tony said, stupid? You seem to think it was important to go to call, enough to go to Colorado and separate Julia Carpenter from her daughter. And at this point, um, Carol decks Tony. And there are cameras nearby that capture it which her publicist just loves. But when she meets with her publicist, uh, Sarah Day, uh, she is thinking about canceling her services because she doesn't know quite what she's getting for them. And uh, Sarah makes the point that Miss Marvel hasn't really been doing a whole lot that could be effectively promoted. And she alleges that Carol has lost her focus on being best of the best. And I have to say that this is an interesting way for a writer to approach a situation where the reason the character has been unfocused is because you've been dragging her off to be involved in company-wide events and their aftermaths, which haven't allowed her to really have the character arc uh, or plot arc that she needs as an individual. But at any rate, Sarah advises... uh, Uh, Carol to do something that she really wants to do. Tony is asking her to head up the latest incarnation of the Avengers, who will be known as the Mighty Avengers, which is a cool name. It's a shame that they didn't last longer. But before Carol will do that, they have a couple of things they need to talk about. The first is the decking incident. Tony said that he made that horrible statement he did just to prove that Carol was human. Because he wants someone in charge of the Avengers who is able to consider the possibility that she might be wrong and aware and in touch with her, with the fact that she has flaws. And to that, I kind of have to say, that's nonsense. So you need to prove that Carol is flawed and human, but you were her sponsor for Alcoholics Anonymous. That doesn't make any sense. There's not really a better way to interpret Tony's remarks about uh, Julie Carpenter other than Tony being a bit of a jerk. I also... uh, Carol's insistence that the only reason she hit Tony was that he, she knew his armor would protect him. Uh, the decision to hit Tony is the type of thing that happens in a moment of anger, and you're not really analyzing. I don't think she was in any sort of analytical mode. It's the type of the thing you say after the effect to feel better about what you did. In terms of the Mighty Avengers, she is willing to lead the team, but has some request of Tony as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. She thinks that S.H.I.E.L.D. is being pretty inefficient at stopping all of these threats before they happen. And so she wants her own strike force to proactively take on threats before they become problems that are worth an intervention from the Avengers. And she wants to requisition S.H.I.E.L.D. agents as well as licensed superheroes to help in this effort. And she wants her own mini helicarrier. And I presume a pony too, but that's not mentioned in the book. I mean, that is a lot to ask. uh, And it's a lot to get 
But Tony, being the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., says, sure, and so she gets it. And immediately they take down an AIM base before AIM can uh, take action and have a big press conference about him. Meanwhile, Anya is out of the hospital and she's feeling a bit better and wanting to get back to crime fighting, but Miss Marvel's not really going to uh, go with her because uh, Anya's dad is so against it. And so she's at her job at fast food where she's dealing with an employer who is really just totally unsympathetic. After the fight and what happened to her exoskeleton, her arm uh, really, uh, it doesn't mesh with the uniform material at work. And because the employer has no flexibility or ability to be understanding, she ends up having to quit. And outside, she's confronted by Julia Carpenter, who wants to know where her daughter is. And that's how issue 13 ends. In issue 14, we see that uh, what had happened was, uh, in the events of Civil War, there was a jailbreak from the secret prisons that had been set up to uh, uh, imprison all of the unlicensed superheroes. And most had been offered a pardon in exchange for being willing to register, except for Julia Carpenter, who declined to go ahead and register with the government. And Carol really goes to bat for Julia, trying to make a case for how she regrets this and how she wants to reunite Julia with her daughter. And so she uses her strike force team for this purpose. And they locate Julia uh, near Anya's workplace. And she panics, but she gets there and finds uh, Julia on the ground. And it's really unclear what happened. Uh, did Anya fight uh, Julia uh, and bring her down? Or was Julia just really tired? It's unclear how this happened, but she's on the ground. And she's upset because she went back to Colorado and discovered that both her uh, child as well as her parents were gone from the house. And so Miss Marvel locates them where they had gone to Colorado. And they have legal custody of Julia's daughter. And Julia arrives at their house in Colorado, goes inside, breaks in, and finds her daughter, and is confronted by her parents, who blame her for uh, some trauma caused by bringing the events of Civil War right to their house by going up to pick up Julia's daughter, Rachel, in that way. Julia responds by kidnapping her daughter with the assistance of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then fleeing to Canada. The way she acts in this issue kind of makes me less sympathetic to her and her plight, rather than more uh, sympathetic to Miss Marvel, which is what they were going for. Particularly at the end of this, uh, Julia informs her that the thing between her and Miss Marvel uh, was uh, not forgotten and will never be forgiven. On one hand, this kind of shows that doing the right thing, uh, some, sometimes you do the right thing, and it doesn't necessarily uh, make everything better uh, when you've hurt somebody before. 
On the other hand, it's just, yeah, it it, uh, just doesn't make uh, Julia look all that good. And then we get a three-issue story, issues 15 to 17, Ready, Aim, Fire. And there's quite a bit to like about this book. Uh, there is a lot of skullduggery uh, and uh, plans within plans going on within AIM and regarding MODOK. And uh, it's really well detailed. Uh, there's some good action, but just some great intrigue and some twist as this story plays out. And I like all of the intrigue and uh, the uh, situations that happen through the story. It's a very well plotted in that way. Um, with When you've got AIM, you've got uh, MODOK, and you've got some good action scenes. Uh, there are some parts that don't work. Uh, at the beginning of the story, Maria Hill confronts uh, Carol Danvers while she's working out about the uh, whole thing that happened with Julia Carpenter in the prior issue. And Carol offers some explanation and says she's debriefed uh, Tony Stark on that. And uh, Maria Hill asks with this smirk on her face, is that the only time you've debriefed him? Which clearly implied, and Carol got on to this, uh, some sort of physical relationship between her and Tony Stark. And that as an explanation for what she was getting. Uh, in terms of the benefits. And this really just strikes me as completely inappropriate. Maria Hill is not my favorite character for Marvel, but the way she's written here, it's like, is she supposed to be in high school? Uh, because that's where this sort of taunt would make sense. This is not something that a professional soldier says without any evidence. Um... Also, as part of this story and their efforts to uh, fight AIM, uh, members of Carol's team get injured. And the writer expects that this is going to affect us. Brian Reed expects this is going to affect us. But honestly, I found myself saying, who cares? When you have characters and you don't really develop them, and you don't give us a reason to care about them, uh, and we don't know who they are, that bad things happen to them is not going to impact us. Uh, one uh, series that I think uh, dealt with something similar but did a much better job on it uh, was uh, Mark Wade's run with The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and part of his plot there was that Bruce Banner was willing to work for AIM and help them out if he was given his own team of uh, scientists that he could work with and develop his great ideas. And uh, we were he was given this team of scientists. But we took like a page or so in the first issue to get a feel for who these characters were. And so we had an idea of their personalities, of their challenges. And so when things happened to them, it actually mattered. Here, we don't take that time. Uh, and so when you have them get injured, it really doesn't impact the readers. Uh, there's also a really goofy part in here 
where uh, Modok, using his uh, mental powers, turns Wonder Man into a weapon to attack Carol. And so Carol responds by fighting back and punching Wonder Man to stop him when she's not able to get through to him. But in a moment of clarity, uh, Wonder Man is able to communicate that uh, what uh, Carol's doing is not helping. That violence actually makes the uh, control of MODOK stronger. And so Carol opts to do the opposite of violence. And the opposite of violence turns out to be kissing him. And as it's been revealed throughout the book that she's attracted to Wonder Man, that was really cheesy. Uh, There was also, um, I should mention, an overall plot uh, subplot that went across the issues. And that was that uh, one of the owners of a restaurant that had been destroyed in her previous battle with Warbird uh, back in the uh, previous volume was William Wagner. And they met and had a bit of romantic relationship. They had a few dates, one of which was interrupted. Earlier we talked about that. And then she had another, or I'm not clear if she was dreaming about having another. Uh, But then Sarah, the publicist, calls him in and says... Uh, she knows all about his past and that he needs to stay away from Carol because she's really working to get Carol Danvers' life straight and to really make her succeed as a superhero and she doesn't need this sort of thing going on. And I wonder if this will be followed up on in later volumes. It is interesting to have Sarah doing that because that does give some insight into her character And we now know something that Carol doesn't. Overall, I had a couple problems with this book. Uh, You know, there was, I think, the plot for the middle story in issues 13 and 14, The Deal, had all kinds of problems. I think that so many of these characters in this book are unlikable, uh, or like Maria Hill or Tony Stark. And I also uh, feel a lot of the characters are bland because uh, you have the idea of Carol and uh, love interests. And either Wonder Man or William Wagner, it's hard to get too invested in. Uh, There's just not a whole lot of emotional depth to either character, which makes it hard to care about the romance. And then you have all of the... uh, Uh, bland characters in uh, Operation Lightning Storm. Carol herself, I like her, and I like Anya. The rest of the uh, characters in the book uh, just really don't connect. Uh, The covers on this were um, very... were generally had some issues. Um, Issue 11 um, opens with um, Anya uh, and uh, Miss Marvel diving into action. And Anya's going in with uh, into action. She's got this smile on her face like she is just ready to fight. A little bit of delight. Well, Miss Marvel has her eyes closed and is diving head first for some reason. Issue 12 is just Miss Marvel on the cover, but she looks like she's in pain. Um, and then issue 13, uh, which 
you know, sets up this Operation Lightning Storm. It has her in an Uncle Sam pose, which makes sense. But she's holding Iron Man's helmet for some reason, and she's just got this blank expression on her face. Um, then you have issue 14, which is, and these issues 14 and 15 are the only covers, which I think are okay. It's showing Miss Marvel and Julia Carpenter in this confrontation stance, and that's fine, not particularly great, but it's a decent cover. And then issue 15 has a you know, Modok is this giant head screaming and Miss uh, Marvel reacting in pain as laser shoots from his head. Great, uh, great cover there. Then issue 16, we have Miss Marvel and Wonder Man flying uh, towards each other with one flying up and one flying down. And it's kind of hard to figure out the perspective or why they would even opt for that sort of setup for a cover. And then you have... Miss Marvel looking like she's in the WWE with this really weird expression on her face and like she's bursting into the scene. I've talked more about this book than anything else on this uh, podcast because there's some good stuff in there and then there's some bad stuff that doesn't quite work. I'll definitely continue reading, though not for a while. The unlockable uh, characters of kind of been annoying so i can definitely use a break from that uh but overall i'm gonna give miss marvel volume three operation lightning storm a rating of not classy so to recap spider-man miles morales volume one gets a rating of classy it's a great start for miles morales in the main marvel universe Spider-Man's Tangled Web Volume 2 gets a rating of somewhat classy. It's a pretty good anthology book. With some good stories with uh, characters who become involved with Spider-Man on the periphery. And then finally we have uh, Miss Marvel Volume 3 Lightning Storm. And that one gets a rating of not classy. There are some really good elements about this book. And then there are some that don't work with so many uh, characters not being particularly likable or interesting. Alright, well that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email to me, ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. And be sure and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.